Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Please uh, track with me. Now Luke, uh, as a gospel, as a book in scripture, it, it must be viewed in concord or together with the book of Acts. Because the one who wrote Luke also wrote Acts. So if this is really one package, we must also see the line that is drawn for, from Old Testament laws and biblical and historical points of view to understand Israel and the calling of Israel. There's a connection there. Uh, that connection, therefore, insists it insist, uh, that we also understand the things that are mentioned clearly now in the New Testament, namely about Jesus. Uh, Jesus being both the foundation and the growth of the church because Jesus, in essence, is the church. Uh, this is why uh, that we say, the Lord is in us, that we are his church, right? Uh, we are his church uh, because the Spirit of God indwells us. So if the Spirit of God indwells us, is inside of us, uh, therefore uh, it means that Jesus is present. So the themes and motives we stumble upon in Luke are meant to, to, to drive us closer to God and to understand Him better. This message is so different. It helps us to understand a little bit more about Christ and not to confuse Him with others. Uh, because at the end of the day, we can dance and we can shout. But if we don't know the one that we are serving, uh, then what on earth are we doing? Who are we following? Knowing who Christ is, is at the bedrock of who we are as Christians. How can we be a Christian and not know who Christ is? Makes no sense in the world. Someone ask, uh, ask us, who is it that you serve? Well, Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Well, all I know, he saved me. Well, that's good, and that's a start. But you, as a mature believer in the Lord, should know more. So if you are a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? And who is Christ? So even though it, is, it appears at times that we're very limited in what we can know about him, because the fact remains that God is very infinite. And even though we have much of what God has said uh, contained in his word, it is not everything. But I tell you this, it's enough for 50 lifetimes and more. Amen? Turn with me to Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. Luke 9, beginning in verse 18. The scripture, it reads, 
Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. The world has its own viewpoint about who Jesus is. But disciples who are in close proximity uh, to the Lord that we are supposed to know better. Uh, you see, first it begins here in verse 18. Uh, Luke, he begins with a segment of God's word by writing, Now it happened. This comes from a phrase in the original language which forms the storyline uh, that Luke had been telling all along. Right? In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, he writes uh, that he uh, decided to take this journey and write a narrative of the things that uh, have been accomplished among us. So now, back in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 and 10 through 17, we saw last time how Jesus had imparted uh, remember those two words? He had imparted authority and he had imparted power uh, to his disciples. Remember what authority was? Authority was the right to do something. Whereas power gives the individual the ability to actually do it. So you can have the authority, but if you don't have the strength, if you don't have the power to do it, then what on earth are you trying to do? But here, starting in verse 18, we also notice that Jesus, that he was praying, and he was praying alone, the Scripture tells us. But very interesting, then it goes on to say that even though Jesus was praying alone, it says the disciples were with him. So he is praying alone, but the disciples were with him. That sets a very important precedent on how to truly live your life as a follower of Christ. I know that oftentimes we have to model to our kids and model to others what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But here is Jesus praying alone, and he decided not to go into a separate room that his disciples could see him pray. But you know how we pray sometimes. You know, uh, uh, child, leave me alone until I finish praying. Don't ask me any questions. Close the door behind you. But would it be beneficial for your children, would it be beneficial for those around you to actually see you pray? I know sometimes, you know, folks in the household, they make a lot of noise, don't they? Especially if you have kids. If you don't have any kids, hopefully there's not a lot of noise in your household. Amen. 
But here Jesus is modeling prayer. What's fascinating is that uh, Luke, uh, he decides to pick this up. He decides to talk about Jesus praying. So Jesus, he wanted to know. Uh, he was praying. The disciples were there. Uh, and then Jesus, in the midst of his prayer, sometimes we can stop and, and start prayer over again. Right? So in the midst of that, Jesus wanted to know who the people thought he was. He asked the question uh, to the disciples, who do the crowd say that I am? It's interesting. Because we must not forget that Jesus is God. Amen? And we know that uh, since Jesus is God, we know that God is omniscient, which means he knows everything, right? And if God knows everything, then he should already know who the people say he is. So if God already knows who the people say that he is, why is he asking the disciples, who do they say that I am? This should remind us of a time when the Lord commissioned Moses to return to Egypt to set his people free from bondage. And Moses said he would do it, but first he needed to know who he should tell them has sent him. Look at that, Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Exodus 3, verse 13, for starters. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people now of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Uh, get this. See, get this. See, the term that is used in the original Hebrew uh, when he says that the God of your father, the term that he uses is Elohim. Right? It's a very fascinating word. And the word is fascinating because the word Elohim is actually plural. Uh, but it can still, uh, depending upon the context, mean singular, but it can also mean multiple gods. But in the minds of the individual, as they're hearing uh, Moses say, if I tell you that the God of your fathers, it's just like if I tell you that a God of your fathers, like, well, what you talking about, Moses? You see, in other words, he was saying that uh, if I tell them this, they're going to want to want no more. Verse 14 there in Exodus 3. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, can you imagine that? That you sent someone on an errand and, and you get there, and they say, well, who sent you an errand? Well, I am sent you, sent me. I am told me to come and tell you this. I am told me to come and, and deliver the people or to get the package. I am says that. Verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord. There it is. The Lord. Now, 
God, he speaks to Moses, and now you see in your text uh, the word, and you know this already, that Lord is all capitalized. You see, this is not Lord as just in some generic Lord or some generic Sir. This now is his proper name. In fact, in some translations, they actually write this out. There's a reason why they didn't do it here. Uh, so the word that we actually see here is Yahweh. That's the word, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. If it's a capital L, then lowercase O-R-D, that means Adonai. It's a little different. But here, uh, God is giving Moses his proper name. Well, there's a man, uh, there's a woman, but what is your name? He says, the Lord, Yahweh the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. After all that time uh, with the Lord, Moses still was unable to give an answer to that question without first, uh, first asking the Lord who he was. So having this question asked about the identity of Jesus seems to have been a part of what the entire nation of Israel had been searching for. It's something with the identity of God uh, that we need to know, that we must know, that we search for. It's something about God that we, in our hearts, we desire more of Him. So we see this parallel thing happening in, in, in the Gospel of John. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 1. Here it is again, the nation of Israel uh, trying to figure out uh, you know, what's going on. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Right? Who are you? So they wanted to know of John the Baptist, who are you? You see again, here, here the people are asking, who are you? They're expecting someone. Verse 20, he confessed, this is John the Baptist, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Do you see that? Uh, John said right out the gate, you're asking me who I am? First, I want you to know unequivocally that I am not the Christ. Not him, uh-uh, not me. Verse 21, and they asked him, what then? Well, who are you then? If you ain't the Christ, who are you? Are you Elijah? He says, I am not. They asked him, are you the prophet? don't have time to deal with that. Uh, but he answered, no. Uh, you, you notice that John the Baptist's answers are getting shorter. At first he says, I am not the Christ. And then he says, I am not. And then he says, no. What do you think happens to people when their answers start to get shorter and shorter? Come on, you know the answer to that. They're starting to get what? On your nerves. John the Baptist is saying, uh, look here, y'all getting on my nerve. So uh, they said to him, 
Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? You see, in the nation of Israel, even in the New Testament, they were still searching for something. Spiritual leadership in Israel, they sent people to discover the identity of John. So this should be no surprise to us that here in Luke chapter 9, uh, the psalm are now asking uh, 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 Jesus is now asking of his disciples, well, who do people say that I am? See, following someone you thought was someone else, it can have devastating consequences. How can you follow Jesus all of your life and you still don't know who he is? Have you ever met Christians like that? That they've been, oh, I've been a Christian, I've been saved, sanctified for 30 years. And then you ask them, well, who is Jesus? Well, he just saved me and sanctified me. Well, okay, well, who else is Jesus? Well, he saved me. Well, who else is Jesus? And I know deep down inside, in light of eternity, that that is enough. But at the end of the day, God says that we need to know more about him. But this questioning the person of Jesus, you know, it went right on that Jesus asked a question here, but it went right on the idea, who is this person? Who is this, this person who's running around doing all these things? It went right on to the time right before they crucified him. Let's look at Luke chapter 22. Uh, we have to see this. Luke 22, beginning in verse 66. Luke 22, verse 66. When they came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. So now they're talking to Jesus, right? They had led him away, and they uh, were trying to decide what they're going to do with him. Verse 67, uh, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? So first it was, are you the Christ? Then are you the Son of God? Well, wait a minute. Are these uh, two different or are they the same? And then he said, he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? Did Jesus say yes? Uh, he didn't say yes. He said, that's what you said. Right? He, he was not playing around, but he was saying that you need to listen to your own voice. We have heard it uh, ourselves from our own lips. And at that time, they decided to crucify Jesus Christ based on the testimony that he had, they thought they had given about himself, about his identity. So even though the Jews had been waiting uh, for the arrival of their Messiah, Jesus, uh, for millennium, uh, even in inferring that he was the Messiah or the Christ, uh, that that was enough to pass judgment on him. But as Jesus' disciples, we should know who he is. Should we? Can you say amen to that? Luke 9.20 Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, the Christ of God. Do you know who Jesus is? 
Do you know who Jesus is today? Do you know who Jesus is? And now, uh, again, we see that the disciples were confronted by Jesus to see if they were able to identify him. This is uh, totally fascinating because it seems that his personhood was the reason some had followed him in the first place. It was the reason that Simon Peter uh, followed Jesus because of who they thought that he was. Well, what? Again, now another passage. John chapter 1, uh, look at verse 40. John chapter 1, verse 40. Got to move quick now. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Which means what? I, I'm not convinced that you know what Messiah means. Uh, he said, he told Peter that we have found the Messiah, and, and the word Messiah means what? They have found Christ. So why is it now, though, uh, here in Luke chapter 9, uh, so far into the ministry of Jesus, that he asked his disciples if they knew who he was? Because uh, wasn't that one of the reasons that they follow? Come and follow me. Okay, he's the Christ. Let's follow him. Wasn't that the reason they followed him in the first place? Frankly, uh, the way some people act today, who call themselves Christians, we probably need to ask them, do you know who Jesus is? Amen? Because they act like they don't know who he is. Why? Why do we need to again wonder if supposedly believers know who Jesus is? Because people get wrapped up all in the throes of life and forget that they're supposed to live holy. Sometimes people have lost their way in the Lord trying to find their, their way in the world. You see, at the end of the day, when your child, your wife, your husband goes off the rails, you may soon discover that of all the things that the world has to offer, that they will be no help to your family. For some, the only answer uh, they may offer will be to let them know who Jesus is. You see, but this is what can happen when there is no anchor in Jesus. When everything else and your family takes precedence over the things of, of, of the Lord. We can get so lost in the world. Surely, you sometimes find a way, but when you look at the law of proportions, how much time did you spend here doing this, and how much time did you spend doing this, you will soon discover that little Johnny, uh, he has not been exposed to enough of God's word, a little Johnette, uh, that eventually, uh, because they have not been surrounded by God's grace and God's mercy, uh, they themselves will go off the rails. So before you make move forward, take an assessment of yourself, take an assessment of your household, to see if the spiritual dynamics is that of growth or whether or not other things are more important than Jesus. You see, all you have to do is just take a quick survey of how you spend your time. Do you spend 1% of your time during the week with Jesus? 2% of your time? 
Do you spend a tithe of your time with Jesus during the course of the week? Well, Pastor, you have to understand that I really don't have time to spend before the Lord. I bet you if something happened to you, you'll find time. I bet you if you got sick, uh, you'll, you'll spend hours and hours in prayer before God trying to find answers to your sickness, wouldn't you? But second thoughts about who Jesus is, it also happens even in some of the most unexpected places. Like again, in the heart of John the Baptist himself. Remember they had asked uh, John there in, 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 in John chapter 1, uh, who are you? I'll look at Luke chapter 7. Look at this. Fascinating. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. The disciples of John, it says here, reported all these things to him. Remember, it was John the Baptist that uh, when he was baptizing all those sinners in the river, uh, that Jesus came to be baptized. And when he saw Jesus, remember what John the Baptist said at the sight of Jesus Christ? What did he say? You know what he said? He said what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John just saw Jesus. I said, look, y'all, there he is. There he is. This is who we had been waiting for. Luke 7, verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Ah! So now John the Baptist is wondering, are you really the one that my heart has been waiting for, that our nation has been waiting for all this time, even though I said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? You see, sometimes in our struggle in life, we wonder, Jesus, are you real? Sometimes you wonder, Jesus, are you really who you say that you are? Why? Because life gets tough. Because life sometimes can throw a wrench into the smoothness of your journey because life can just sometimes make you just want to go off. So in Jesus' response to uh, the, the disciples of John the Baptist, he didn't discount them like some of you would say, well, what do you think? And say that instead, Jesus told them to look at the signs and miracles that he has done and understand them in terms of the Old Testament prophecy and then decide for yourself who I am. Look at the miracles. Look at the healings. Look at the signs. Look at the wonders. Look at the message. Hear the gospel. Who do you think I am? Some people... That challenge to dig deeper into God's Word is a little too much for them to handle. Right? For some of us, uh, us today, if God says, I need for you to dig more in my Word, again, here we go, I just don't have the time. While uh, this may be acceptable at a certain point, as you're learning, uh, as you mature, it is no longer an excuse. So who people say who Christ is, who believers say Christ is should give us two different answers. 
Now these are the two main questions Jesus poses in the passage. Who do people say that I am? And then he asks the question, who do you say that I am? Again, in other words, what Christ means to unbeliever and, and, and what uh, Jesus means to us, that it should vary. There should be a discrepancy there. We should not say the same things about Jesus, and we should not live the same way as the world does. You see, who Christ is and what he means to us as Savior is a connection people without Christ simply can't understand and they can't make because they are devoid of the Spirit and when they are devoid of the Spirit, they reject him and then they have ignorance about the person of Jesus. Now, we're not talking about some mere intellectual pursuits. We're not talking about how much do you know of scriptures in your brain? Because anybody can read anything from a book. Amen? Anybody can read anything from a book and recite something back. And we're talking about those who have been enlightened by the Spirit of God. Have you? Those who, when they hear God's word, they understand deeply that my spirit and my soul witnesses the presence of God. Jesus wanted to know who the crowds say that he was. Because they were trying to figure things out. Sometimes when you're trying to figure things out and you can't the right answer, you go to others. You go to your civil leaders. You go to your religious leaders. You go to all those who try to make sense out of the whole thing for you. But God calls us. God calls us into relationship. God calls you into relationship. Now, if your answer doesn't align itself with truth, what are you going to do? What are you going to do then if your answer does not align with God's eternal truth? Great thing for believers, for which I am a follower and a minister of Jesus Christ. A great thing for us is that we have a sure source to know, and it is God's Word. What does Jesus say? What did the apostles say? What did other Christians say? You know, these are all reliable sources of that information inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then even Herod had already questioned the identity of Christ there again here in chapter 9. Look at that. Chapter 9, verse 7 here in Luke now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed. In other words, he was confused. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. So he heard about the ministry of Christ and at this particular point, he had already beheaded John the Baptist. He had already cut off John the Baptist's head. So now he's feeling guilty. Amen. You know, sometimes when you're feeling guilty, all that old stuff, it comes rushing back at you really quick. So the first thing he said, wait a minute, I know I cut off John the Baptist's head. Is that him, y'all? Verse 8. 
Verse 8. By some that Elijah had appeared. And there's that name Elijah being mentioned again. You know, we, we heard that before. Someone else mentioned Elijah before. It appeared. And he's very significant here. Oh, I have to tell you, one day you have a chance, go to the end of the Old Testament and you'll read about Elijah that is supposed to come. Ah. And by others that one of the prophets said, oh, so it's always Elijah, right? It's always uh, 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 one of the prophets of old, right? Is it the Christ? Uh, verse 9, Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? Huh. See, of all the names and titles that we have given Jesus, why didn't Jesus invite his disciples to call him by that name, right? Uh, so, so Peter says here in verse uh, 20, then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Why didn't the next verse say, okay, and what else? Okay, I'm the Christ, but who else am I? Right? Why didn't they call Jesus Emmanuel? Why didn't they call him the good shepherd? In fact, why didn't they call Jesus the door? Why didn't they call Jesus the first and the last? Why didn't they call Jesus Alpha and Omega? Why didn't they call Jesus divine? Why didn't they call him the way? Why didn't they call Jesus the truth? Why didn't they call Jesus the light? Why didn't they call Jesus the son of man? Son of David? Why didn't they call him the Word? Why didn't they call Jesus the bread of life or the son of Joseph? Why didn't they call him Lord? Why didn't they call him firstborn? Why didn't they call him author of life, chosen one, Jesus of Nazareth, holy one of God, lamb of God, light of the world, a rose of Sharon or the lily of the valley? Why didn't they call him one of those names? Why didn't Jesus kept Keep saying, okay, but who else am I? Okay, I know I'm the Christ, but aren't I Emmanuel? Who else am I? Why did he stop right at Christ? Why did he stop term Emmanuel, I mean a Messiah or anointed one? Why did he stop there? And in case you didn't know, the word Christ, it means all three of those. You see, the word Christ is an English rendering of the Greek word Christos. So we get the word Christ from the word Christos. And then uh, the word, uh, in the word in, in, in original language, Christos, it means anointed or like to smear oil. That's what it means, anointed one or to smear oil. So in the Hebrew, what does this anointed one mean in Hebrew? It means Messiah. So uh, you have uh, the word Christ, Christos, or you have the word, uh, the words anointed one and the word Messiah. These are one and the same. 
Knowing that he was the Christ or the Messiah, it was important. I remember they had been searching, uh, waiting uh, for millennium, trying to receive the Christ to their nation. <clears throat> this only makes sense, right? Consider it. It only makes sense now that uh, why is it that when Jesus, when he initially had imparted the authority and the power to his disciples, he told them only to go to the Jews? Because they were the only one that was supposed to have been spiritually aware and receptive of the Messiah to have arrived. You see, the Gentiles, uh, some uh, kind of knew, those who were hyper-spiritual, they knew something about someone that's supposed to come. But the Jews, they had the word. Uh, the word was entrusted to them. How in the world can you know all of that word and be so ignorant of God? How is that possible? You see, you can study ad nauseum. You can study until uh, you are completely done, but you can still end up being no closer to God than where you are today. So while all other titles are important, all of the titles are true of Jesus. It was important that they understood who the Christ is. Jesus was divine king who brought deliverance from bondage and prosperity of life to everyone who follows him and accepts his rule. But some, even though they knew this, they had a very narrow view of who the Messiah was supposed to be. Right? They only wanted someone who was going to be their new president. Oh, Jesus is, uh, is going to be the Christ. We got a new president, y'all. And he's going to deliver us from all that political mess and all, that, uh, all those Roman soldiers that have been sacking our nation for years. But Jesus was saying, I'm so much more than president to you. Consider the fact, would you like your president to be your Messiah? Huh. So uh, they weren't ready uh, for what Jesus had. And they should have been ready for what Jesus had to present to them. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Matthew 23, verse 37. So Jesus says this in response to those heathens. Old Jerusalem, he says. And Jerusalem represents all of Israel. Again, just uh, the way that they, the language that they use. Old Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets. And this is Jesus speaking because it's in the red. Uh, uh, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as, hen, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Ah! You see that? Jesus says, I am here to be your Messiah. And you said, no, you don't look like our Messiah, you see, because I thought you were going to be a Republican. Or I thought that you were going to come and, and bring in pure socialism. Or I thought you were going to come and bring in pure capitalism, but you're talking about this spiritual stuff. How can you be our Messiah? But Jesus said, uh, you didn't have on your spiritual eyes. 
You are only thinking about worldly things. You see, as disciples, we can fail to grasp the true nature of Jesus Christ. As his disciples, you can fail to grasp the true nature of Jesus Christ. This is probably uh, one of the situations where Jesus needed to address them concerning his identity. Because if he is who he says that he was, then uh, the most impossible of situations would now be possible. I can hear Jesus saying, y'all still acting like y'all don't know me. Don't you know who I am? Look at you. Cursing. Look at you, stealing. You said that I am uh, the, the one that was supposed to come, but look at the way that you're acting. You're fighting. You're fussing. Shooting guns. Look at you now. How can you be my representative? Here's a question for you. If Jesus and his disciples were alive today, would he allow his disciples to carry guns? If you know the scripture, you know the answer to that. Period. That's all I got to say. Let's go on. Amen? You see, if you don't really know who Jesus is, then all of life, everything is always a crisis. Every time uh, that you turn on the news, oh, what am I going to do? Every time your child brings home a bad report, what are we going to do? Oh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling because your dependency is not on the everlasting one. Your dependency is not on the Christ, not on the Messiah, but it is on you and how you look. And any time depend upon ourselves. Anytime we're concerned about how we look, we are bound to fail like a house of cards. So after all of this, it appears that Jesus was leading them down the path of discovery concerning his identity. Even after receiving the impartation of authority and power uh, that had seemed to remain, uh, they had still seemed to remain in somewhat ignorance. So you get God's power, you have his authority, but yet uh, in your heart you still doubt. So this is partially a journey of maturity because at the end of the day, we are so consumed with our personal affairs that we uh, don't really take time to find out and just to commune with the Lord. Is this also behind who we are as followers of Christ? Doing all we do but not really having a full grasp of Jesus? Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is your Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is your Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. That he will deliver. That he is our king. He is the one that our hearts had been hoping for. He is the one that we know will grant us peace. 
He is the beginning. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the Alpha. Jesus is the Omega. Jesus is uh, the Rose of Sharon. Jesus is the Lily of the Valley. Jesus is who my soul longs for, who my soul praises. Jesus is my Lord. So today, folks, worship Him. Worship the Lord in spirit. Worship Him in truth. Do you know who Jesus is? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you.